Good morning, Dr. Rajbans. Good morning. Let's get to some medical articles today. Now, this first one, based on the analysis by Korea University's laboratory, gut dysfunction and its associated leaky gut may actually exacerbate the severity of COVID-19 infections by enabling the virus to access the surface of the digestive tract and internal organs which are vulnerable to infection. So, how accurate is this claim, doctor, that gut health is correlated to COVID-19. If you look at uh, the, what causes gut health to, to you know to get uh, affected is our lifestyle. If you look at what's happening in COVID today, most of the people who are you know getting uh, severe disease or dying from the disease are people with chronic diseases and people with poor immune system like the elderly and the people with cancers. Now, the same thing that causes these chronic diseases which is again lifestyle related also is the same reason why our gut gets damaged. That means mm. our Poor diets, you know, all this uh, full of chemicals, full of uh, things like, uh, you know, refined carbs and all that. Actually, that causes uh, damage to our good bacteria. Mm. And the good bacteria actually work uh, symbiotically with us, you know. So they actually help protect the gut from, uh, you know, any sort of uh, invaders that come into the gut. So they actually protect the lining. So toxins can't go in, uh, infections, viruses can't go into the gut. Once the gut gets damaged, we call it the leaky gut syndrome. Mm. That means the lining has been damaged, uh, good bacteria reduce in number, bad bacteria take over, toxins and viruses can go into the gut and from there into the organs and of course directly attack the organs. So if you have chronic disease or if you have already have a leaky gut syndrome, then your chances of getting a more severe COVID-19 is definitely increased. Okay. Right. It's not all about uh, decreased immunity if you have a, a gut health problem. Yeah, it means your immune system will decrease because your your one of the immune system boosters is basically your gut, the good bacteria. This protects your gut from any infection to go into the body. So this is one of the places that uh, is, uh, you know, if, a good, strong, if you have good, strong, uh, good bacteria, then your immune system will be stronger. Apart from the... Uh, the one in the blood, the immune system in the blood. So they all work together. Mm. So if your poor gut health, then your immune system also will get weaker. Yeah. So if we want to add good bacteria, like how effective are probiotics in helping COVID-19 patients recover? Yeah. So I think uh, it's definitely no harm. You can use probiotics, but the problem is it's not going to work overnight. Mm. Your leaky gut symptom has probably occurred over many years and it's not going to work overnight. And the second thing is that it's like, uh, you know, trying to say that uh, uh, I carry on my, uh, my unhealthy lifestyle but I take probiotics it won't work yeah. because this poor bacteria that you put in also will die because of your lifestyle so first thing you do is change your lifestyle and then you can add on probiotics to you know because if you have if you use a good healthy diet with a lot of you know uh, fruits and vegetables and fiber these are prebiotics that where the good bacteria grow so you need to get into a good lifestyle reduce your stress get your exercise going and then take probiotics so that Hopefully, the good bacteria will soon multiply and your leaky gut syndrome will get reduced or even improve or get better. Let's get to our second article, doctor. Now, there's this new test developed by Yale School of Medicine to help check if a mother will miscarry much sooner in the pregnancy. So, usually it will take about two, a week or two for the test to come out, whether or not the parents, uh, the mother will miscarry. But this time around, it, it's just a couple of hours and according to this article, 15% of all pregnancies actually end in miscarriage. 
Why does a miscarriage happen, doctor? One of the things they used to say was that if you have a miscarriage, it was maybe because there was some deformity in the embryo, and it's a nature's way of just getting rid of that, uh, you know, embryo so that uh, it doesn't grow into something that's more serious or what, you know. So you want, it's like you want to get a, a deformed baby coming out. So that's just like one of nature's way. Other reason probably is just genetic. That some people are genetic to more prone for miscarriages, and of course the third thing is your lifestyle. You know, so a very unhealthy lifestyle. Mothers who smoke could take a lot of alcohol, have unhealthy lifestyle, actually more prone to miscarrying because they are probably that uh, uterus is not healthy enough to carry the baby through the nine months. So miscarriages can occur. Okay, but what can be done then to make our wombs stronger? Like what can we eat? What can we do? Again, I think it comes like if you look at the... when you look at a mother is pregnant, you know, or even before she gets pregnant, doctors advise you of a healthy lifestyle, eat healthy, you know, do some exercise, uh, avoid all those toxins. Uh, and these are some of the things, take some supplements that will help the, you know, the mother and both the baby. So if you look at that, it's basically looking at, again, back to a healthier lifestyle. Mm. And there's no shortcut to that. I think if mothers want to get pregnant, they're not only going to be looking after their bodies, but also the baby, you know. You have to make sure that you really go into a healthy lifestyle. So mothers who smoke, take alcohol, all these have to stop because this will definitely help the growth of the baby. And this can actually lead to miscarriages. So it's very important that they start a healthy lifestyle months before they even get pregnant. I didn't know that there was a test that you can do to to see whether or not you, you will miscarry. Yeah, first time I'm hearing of this because we never used to do such a test. So I don't know whether this is available or it's just still part of a, a research, research or something. Uh, yeah. So I think, but I don't don't know yet, uh, especially in Malaysia, I'm not sure whether they can actually do a test. It would be interesting to find out. Uh, that would be good, you know, if they can do a test so at least people will know or they can take more precautions if that mother is more prone to miscarry. Blue light exposure it has become a hot topic due to the amount of time that we spend in front of a digital screen every single day. And recent research indicates that adults spend an average of more than 12 hours a day in front of our smartphones, our tablets, our TVs and computers. And and that doesn't include usage during the MCO. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so doctor, the question here is, how can exposing yourself to too much blue light be harmful to your health? Okay, I think there's still, still not sure the long-term effects of all these uh, because it's actually all these are very new in the world, only last uh, maybe 20, 30 years. Uh, but one thing we know definitely blue light, uh, especially at night, definitely affects your sleep. That's why day and night, you know, and ancestors when the night comes, the, the body actually starts preparing for sleep. And one of the things is it releases melatonin four hours before you fall asleep, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's preparing you for sleep. And the active hormones, things like a serotonin and other uh, chemicals, start going down so that, you know, uh, your body sort of starts relaxing so that you're going to prepare for sleep and a good night's sleep. Now, that is because dark is coming, you know, the uh, sky is getting darker and everything is getting... But once we got all these gadgets and all these lights, the key is sort of... Uh, made everything go haywire and using things at night especially you know at night computer your smartphones your television it actually sort of confuses the brain that you know i see day or night should i release melatonin or should i not release melatonin should my serotonin still stay high so i think one of the things that we know is it uh, definitely affects sleep blue light occurs naturally in sunlight i think you're not really sure i don't think so it's uh, it's just the brain getting tricked that you are having is still daylight Okay, right, all right. right. Okay. Light is still like a trick to the brain that, you know, you're not dark, it's still daylight. I see. And I think that's where the, the confusion occurs uh, for our brain. 
and uh, all the chemicals that we release. Mm. So we definitely known to affect sleep. Uh. Okay. Uh, that's why they advise you not to try to use your smartphone or watch television in the room. Be just before you sleep. Try to take it off at least one hour or half an hour before you sleep. Just off everything and try to relax. So let the body plan for its sleep. Because poor sleep is definitely bad for health. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we are listing. Uh, so I think that's one thing we definitely know that blue lights can affect our sleep, and that's something that we have to be careful. Other long-term effects, I'm not sure. We probably later we will know. But right now, I think this is the main concern about lights and sleep. Okay. So um, there are a lot of these blue light glasses or blue light filter filters are uh, for sale in the market now. Do you think they will work, doctor? To filter so out the really, blue lights? Not really sure because all these again are so new and sometimes I don't know whether it's just a marketing gimmick. It's just like telling that, okay, I don't have to have a healthy lifestyle but I can take some supplements and I'll be okay. Right, right, okay. So I think it's still, uh, instead of using filters, I think you just have to cut down your, especially when you're going to bed at night, cut off these gadgets you know, at least one hour before you go to sleep. Now, touted by makers as a healthy alternative to traditional nicotine cigarettes, new research indicates the chemicals that are found in e-cigarettes actually disrupt the gut barrier and trigger inflammation in the body, potentially leading to a variety of health concerns. Now, doctor, do you know what kind of chemicals are in cigarettes that can cause gut inflammation? I am not exactly sure of the, you know, but I think there are many, many chemicals. This time, there seem to be different ones that they're using. Some even turn out to be toxic. But whatever, all these chemicals, what they do is going to go to cause a lot of free radical damage that will lead to inflammation. And then this is how the gut will get flame. And then you get all the toxic gut syndrome, the leaky gut syndrome we mm. talked about earlier. So, so e-cigarettes are not as safe as what they've initially said to be they used the e-cigarette to say that it can go away from cigarettes which they claim was more toxic yeah but if you look at it i think e-cigarettes are probably just as bad or even worse than your your normal cigarettes oh wow okay if we want to quit just the nicotine cigarettes e-cigarettes is not the way to go then no i think definitely not i think that is uh something that uh, is i think even more dangerous than your normal cigarettes but back in the day, they used to have the nicotine patch, didn't they? Yeah, they still have. They still have that. Those are all the things we used to, you know, to prevent, uh, I mean, to get people to take off, you know, stop smoking. So we still have nicotine patches, nicotine gums, all the, some of the things we used to, you know, wean off people. Because it's actually the withdrawal is more from the nicotine than the other chemicals. Mm. So if you, some people don't stop smoking, they use nicotine to just get the nicotine effect and slowly get off the cigarettes. Yeah, I remember you saying that the best way to do it is cold turkey. Is it cold turkey, yeah. the best way? Yeah, they say actually that's the one that seems to work the best. La. But that you need a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know... Willpower. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of gut inflammation, doctor, like what are some of the symptoms um, of gut inflammation? How do we know if we our gut is inflamed or not? I think the early things is things like... Uh, you know, abdominal upset, a uh, lot of flatulence, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, getting things like constipation, diarrhea, a uh, lot of, uh, you know, uh, things like wind in the stomach, they call it to be simple terms. So all these are early signs. Uh, later you can have like things like chronic diarrhea and the current infections and all these are later signs. But uh, sometimes initially the gut, the leaky gut can be confused for irritable bowel syndrome, which yeah. I think is basically a leaky gut syndrome. Irritable bowel, I think, is the precursor to leaky gut. This already shows that you're having some sort of damage to the gut. And uh, But doctor think it's just another disease where they give you things that are, 
you know, more to symptomatic treatment rather than treating the underlying problem. So when people come to me with uh, IBS or irritable bowel, I tell them start high-dose probiotics. A lot of them actually recover, change their lifestyle and then, uh, you know, use high-dose probiotics. And a lot of them actually get better instead of taking all the symptomatic treatment. Now, January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. So let's learn more about this cancer. Now, doctor, there's a lot of stigma surrounding cervical cancer because... A lot of people believe that it is caused by having multiple partners. How true is this? Yeah, I mean, that is uh, the main risk factor for cervical cancer is having multiple uh, partners, you know. Apart from other things like a uh, poor immune system or even smoking, they say it's another risk factor. Uh, but smoking is a risk factor for almost every cancer. Mm-hmm. But for cervical cancer, it's definitely multiple uh, partners. Uh, that is the main risk factor for cervical cancer. Okay, so what are some of the signs and symptoms of cervical cancer? False smelling discharge, uh, you know, uh, having uh, bleeding before uh, even menstruation or during sexual activity and uh, pain. So these are the main symptoms that you get, uh, pain, bleeding and uh, uh, discharge. Okay. Most of these cervical cancers are caused by HPV, human papilloma virus. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the main cause. That's why they talk of the vaccine for the virus to prevent, uh, you know, getting the risk of cervical cancer. And I read somewhere that we should actually start the HPV jab on girls as young as nine years old. Is that recommended? Why? I don't know. I, I think I'm a bit uh, confused on this whole uh, HPV virus vaccine. I mean, there, of course, there are certain vaccines that I think are very important. Uh, right now with the COVID, I think COVID is going to be one vaccine that in the end, nobody, we have no choice but to take. But something like uh, HPV virus, I don't know. I myself, you know, at nine years of age, are we saying that our daughters or whatever are, are sexually be active, sexual right? Yeah. So I think certain cultures in the world, maybe this is true. They may have, you know, if you look at some of the movies, you can see teenagers already getting. But I think the Asian culture, I don't know how true this is. Mm. Because most of the Asian culture, they are quite strict, you know, families who have got a lot of ethics and morals. And uh, I don't think so. The girls in this part of the world are going to be into that sort of uh, lifestyle. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know whether you should start at nine or even start in the teenage years. Uh, but I think it's just something that you have to discuss with a doctor and see whether it's something appropriate to give your you know, child. Actually, doctor, if you don't mind me asking, like obviously men don't have a cervix, right? But yeah. this HP virus, are men susceptible to it? No, because uh, we won't. Uh, it's more of a cervical cancer thing. We can have HP virus, but most time it's asymptomatic for men. You might have some discharge or, or sometimes some uh, pain, but otherwise most time it's nothing. Because it stays chronic. Most of the virus, if you've got a good immune system, the body will get rid of it. Some people, the virus stays chronic, and that's when they get cervical cancer. Oh, and then the men can actually pass it over to the women yes. as well, right? That's how, you, that's how they pass it, and, and, uh, because they are asymptomatic, so they don't know.